0: Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch.
1: And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions.
0: On today's show, we have Brendan Hayes and Heather Hicks from the National Hemophilia Foundation, and we are joined by Maya Bloomberg, a certified nurse practitioner, also known as the Heme NP. So we've got advocacy and clinical leads coming onto the program today. Stacked. It's stacked. We've got personal updates. It's Bleeding Disorders Awareness. Awareness month, all that and more on today's episode. Hey, listeners. Welcome to Bloodstream. It's okay, Amy. You're still kind of green. And I think once we have like a couple few months under our belt, we'll get into such a rhythm, it'll just seem like, you know, we've been doing this for years.
1: I thought you were done. Uh, okay, listeners, as always, thank you for joining Patrick and I here on Bloodstream always. I'm looking around at the studio, and I think probably all of that will be left in, which is horrifying. Hey, if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast and follow Bloodstream Media on social media. Maybe you can see more you know, bloopers like that.
0: There's so much good stuff. we got On a, social. We actually got a lot of good stuff coming out on social, a lot of video <laughs> from the things that happen inside the studio. So if you're an audio-only person, you're missing yeah. out. Go missing check out. out the socials. Missing out. Um, I also want to remind you, dear listeners, that the Bloodstream Podcast is indeed made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds, which, Amy Bored, so do I. Oh, for sure. Me too. And did you know this? Mm. Takeda's dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients on their treatment journey wherever Wherever on that that journey journey, they they may be. be. Mm. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, though, I doubt you need it. Bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. Amy Board, here we are. Happy Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month.
1: It is Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month.
0: Washington Days is going on in real time. You heard us talk about it. National Day of Advocacy. It is happening right now, the 8th through the 10th in Washington, D.C. Which is very cool. And we all are gonna, we're going to have a few people from NHF on shortly, not necessarily to talk about that, but some other cool stuff going on. Um, but I wanted to start, Amy, by giving you a bit of an update on my ongoing journey with my left ankle. I
1: wish, I wish we had like a little, um, like a theme song, like, ankle or something like that.
0: And now we I do. Know. <laughs> Keith loves that song, by the way. That was a big hit in the booth. Big, big, big hit in the booth. It's
1: such a bummer that that's going to stay in.
0: This is an odyssey. this episode is called It's Staying In. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the whole theme. Uh. Speaking of it Staying In, not really, though. So I've been uh, dealing with this angle situation for quite some time. And we've been talking about it here. And here's the latest chapter, folks. Mm. On and it side. really
1: has been an odyssey.
0: More than I thought it was going to be. <gasps> Way more than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I be. thought it was going to be a few months yeah. of trying to figure out a decision. And yeah. then there we go. But here we are. And um, the end of last year for me was extremely difficult. The beginning of this year was very difficult. And then two weeks ago, I got my latest cortisone shot after surgery in October, a platelet injection in November, a lot of pain and discomfort and continued disability. And I have to say, as you've seen in this office, Amy, the last two weeks, I'm moving around just fine. I know. I'm doing I'm doing great. I feel like it's years ago. I know. I know there's a ticking clock. I know it's like when you charge your phone before you go out to like the big event and you just watch the battery and you're like, I know at some point I got to stop streaming videos because I'm going to suck this battery life down. But right now I'm in a season of my life that I am not ready to be taken out of. So while having Vivian and thinking about family planning in the future gave me reason to... Add additional urgency around doing something, the pain and the disability being the primary driver, but then also looking at the road ahead and determining, I don't want to be dealing with this and trying to figure this out two, three, four, five years from now. I think this is the time to do it. Well, things are true until they're not, because there's been some other life, personal, professional updates that have changed my decision tree and have given me new things to think about. And frankly, I'm not in a moment where I'm ready to be taken out of the game for two or three months, where I'm recovering, hoping that after three months, I'll be able to get around on crutches decently. Like, I was on a shoot for 12, 14 hours a couple of days ago, on my feet the whole time, bopping around. You go there. You go there. Wait, no. Back to one. Hey, okay. Common cook. Action. And I felt great. And I woke up the next morning feeling, you know, sore and dehydrated. But those are normal (laughs) production things. Yeah. I didn't feel my hemo stuff. Yeah. So... If hemophilia is going to prevent me from being able to keep up with this thriving season that I'm living in, that's going to really emotionally rattle me because it doesn't have to. I can get by a little while longer on a course of cortisone shots, delay what I think is probably an inevitable surgery till I'm in a slightly different season. I don't think there's ever a great window for three to four months of recovery. I don't think that exists in any of our lives. But some windows are better than others. And right now, I don't have a good window ahead of me. I have a window that needs me as peak me as I can be. And right now, I'm pretty close to that. That is great. The ankle surgery story for right now is on pause. The ankle cortisone injection routine is is what we're going with for now.
1: You know, I... um it's Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month, so have thank you for <laughs> sharing that story. Because I think I think it's universal in some ways, and I I wonder, um, you know, with listeners here uh, thinking about their own path and what they wished they would have engaged with, maybe at a younger age, um, mm. to maybe, you know. Uh, stop the progression of things that might have popped up, uh, you know, when they were older. Um, Do you have any of those thoughts? Do you have any of those thoughts of like what you wish you would have done maybe in like that young adult age or something like that? Well,
0: I I don't have like what I wish I would have done necessarily. But what comes up for me as you say that is, again, this idea of agency. So I feel like Mm. right now at 37 with a family and a business and an interesting career and some decisions to make, I'm taking agency over my health and over my management of hemophilia by realizing, oh, even though a couple weeks ago I thought surgery was the right idea, I now believe it to not be the right idea for now. That's okay, this is dynamic. None of us live static lives, so these things change. When I was a 13-year-old who no longer had an inhibitor, who was theoretically able to walk to the park and go play with friends for a while and walk home again, it was, again, my taking agency to say, Mom, I want to do that. And she would say, well, okay, but if you go and play basketball for two, three hours, you know you're going to be doing damage to yourself. And you know that damage is life-lasting. And she would have, you know, I've mentioned this before, she had a very real talk with me about that stuff. And I would say, yeah, I I want to go. I want to do it anyway. Because this... I have, never, I have not been able to do this in my life yeah. so far. Yeah, yeah. And I'm only going to be a kid and a teen for that much, this much longer. Yeah. And I don't know how long this is all going to last. Yeah. So I want to go play. I know what the costs are. So I'm glad I did. And I think what was similar then about what I'm facing now is just this idea of taking agency, knowing what is it that's at stake here? You know, what am I, what am I striving for? What are the compromises I'm willing to make? Because we got to deal with this thing. Mm-hmm. None of us want to. I know. None of us want to manage hemophilia. But the truth is you can either be proactive, right, and like get ahead of certain things, own your life, take agency over your life, or you can pretend it doesn't exist. Right. And it will inevitably disrupt, interrupt right. and otherwise throw off your life. Right. I don't want to live in that second category. I want to live in that first category.
1: And I think there is, uh, you know, I I have experienced this, but I think there is, you know, kind of this idea that if you engage with it or if you are proactive Mm -hmm. with it, it's really, um, it's going to take up a lot of time. You're going to feel like hemophilia is your entire life. And I actually think it's the opposite. If you engage with it proactively, um, I think it'll show up less and less as you go through your life. It won't um, affect some uh, life stages as much. As maybe it it would have, and I think I think it's kind of like reframing how we engage mm-hmm. with our chronic illness because mm-hmm. it really, I think there is um, a level of almost depression and anxiety to engage with it when you feel it's like this is the only thing that yeah. I have and I have yeah. to just ugh. and and it's actually different to engage with it proactively when it's not an issue yes. per se yeah um, will help you down the line.
0: My wife Natalie talks about the upfront work. And like, you know, we're going to do this thing now. We're going to make the bed in the morning. We're going to make the bed in the morning so that when we come here later and we're tired and exhausted, the bed's made and it's just ready for us. We're going to do the upfront work. And it's very logical, but, you know, to be honest, was something that I didn't appreciate as much until she would say it over and over again. So I have moments sometimes where I'm like, I don't want to do that thing. And this little light bulb goes off. I'm like, oh, upfront work. It's like, I'm either going to do that now yeah. or I'm going to do more work that I don't fully understand yeah. later on, yeah. on someone else's timeline.
1: I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think um, it's so funny that we're talking about this because um, our first guests, Brendan Hayes and Heather Hicks, are from NHF, they're from the education department at NHF, and, uh, you know, I think some of the work that the education team is beginning to do is looking into this almost in a way of mm. how to, as a young adult, how to engage with your hemophilia um, to learn more about it, to feel more secure. And I think to provide that agency that you spoke of mm-hmm. in such a wonderful way. And they're piloting a programs called own your path. And it's for, um, let me see, let me check my notes, 18 to 29 year olds who have hemophilia a and are on prophy. And, You know, I just think it's uh, a program to engage with it, proactively engage and to take agency and ownership of your hemophilia um, so you can live um, a life that is untethered Mm. in a way that I just think is really lovely, which is which is really neat that they're um you know they're they're thinking this way and they're designing programming this way. I for, think it's kind of cool.
0: For sure. That's great. So you're going to hear about that coming up here in just a couple of minutes and then after that we'll have our interview with Maya Bloomberg who is a certified nurse practitioner and goes by the moniker or handle on Instagram the heme np. She has been for the last uh, year plus, and I won't step on too much of the story, but she's made quite a name for herself uh, online, on Instagram in particular, by making information about hemophilia and sickle cell disease primarily easily digestible, interesting, quick, and from the point of view of a clinical expert. So she's going to come on to talk to us a bit more about her inspiration, her, her background in bleeding disorders. That will come after the discussion with Brendan and Heather. And I have to make you aware, dear listeners, that this next segment is brought to you by Genentech. Always striving to further support the hemophilia community, Genentech offers several resources to assist patients and caregivers. Their clinical education managers, or CEMs, are part of your hemophilia community. They have years of nursing and clinical experience, offer one-on-one support, and can help you answer your hemophilia-related questions. CEMs do not provide medical advice. If you have questions about your medical condition, contact your health care provider. Get one-on-one support from your local CEM throughout your entire hemophilia journey at talktoacem.com. And now, here's Brendan and Heather.
1: Listeners, I am here with Brendan Hayes and Heather Hicks, both members of the education team at the National Hemophilia Foundation, or NHF, as we lovingly know it, welcome to the podcast, Heather, and welcome back, Brendan. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Amy. Heather, I think listeners know Brendan, they kind of, uh, know, and obviously she's a member of the community. Heather, tell us a little bit about how you got started with NHF and uh, your role here in this program that we're gonna talk about.
0: Sure,
2: Um, I started with NHF in June of 2022. I have a background in molecular and microbiology and also a master's in public health, I have been in the field of education as a teacher and an assistant principal, and also um, worked as a manager during um, the COVID pandemic uh, with a team of d- disease investigators. So um, have a lot of experience in both education and science, and I was so excited to see the position at NHF open up that kind of merges um, two of the things that I love and was also able to help people at the same time. It was, it was just wonderful to see this opportunity. Welcome
1: to the community. We're a ragtag bunch, so welcome.
2: <laughs> Thank you. And as far as uh, my role in the program has been to um, help with finishing up the last pieces of it uh, as it was getting put into place. This has been an ongoing project um, that, that has been uh, done in partnership with the CDC and I kind of came in in the the last pieces of it, but I've been helping develop our recruitment strategies, meeting with EDs from different chapters, meeting with staff from different HTCs, helping with promotional materials, ideas to get the word out about this program. So that's what I've mostly been doing.
1: Incredible, well again, welcome. Um, Brendan, tell us a little bit about On Your Own, Uh, on your own path, this seems like a program that would be near and dear to your heart. Um, So tell me a little bit about the genesis of this. What is the gap that it's filling? And what is the program designed to do specifically?
3: It's fundamentally an adherence program. But as we know, adherence isn't sexy. So um, (laughs) we're just going to say we're going to stay on top of our treatments. It's teaching people to stay on top of their treatments, right? So I think that... um, You know, I'm really excited about this program because I know that we do a lot of education, NHF and our community partners. We we do a lot of education about bleeding disorders. Um, We have the opportunity to um, raise healthy young youngsters in this community and then we launch them into the world and (laughs) that's where it all starts to go awry. So what excites me about this program is that It helps create not only fundamental information about bleeding disorders. So, you know, I think we all think that we know everything that there is to know about a bleeding disorder if we live, you know, um, experience it with lived experience. But in reality, there could be things that you don't know. There could be things that um, are new, um, new approaches, et cetera. So we wanted to, you know, make sure that there was a very strong educational component And um, the other piece of this that's so important is that, you know, I think for the first time, we're really looking at, you know, a very narrow population, which we don't typically do. So we're looking at young adult males with severe and moderate hemophilia um, who are 18 to 29 years old and that live in the United States. Super specific. And right. the reason being is that this is a pilot program, and we really wanted to to figure out what the experience was like. Um, is this program actually going to make a difference? And so, you know, we really wanted to narrow that population. But I think the key thing here is that, you know, as a caregiver, um, and as uh, you know, even if you think about our HTC uh, partners, you know, we all do a lot to make sure that. Um, we're adherent to medication. We all know the importance of adherence, and we know what could happen if we are not. And mm-hmm. so, I think when community members, young community members, go off, um, they stop thinking about their bleeding disorder because they're they're launched into the world and there's so much going on. They sort of put it off to the side, and I think that's something that really is scary to parents too. And so. What our hope is with this program is to take that holistic view of the individual. What do they need to know about bleeding disorders? And then also look at things like, are you getting enough sleep? Do you have an exercise program that you're involved in? Are you eating well? Because if you're out partying late on a Sunday night or you're up late cramming for an exam when that alarm goes off and you're supposed to do your infusion at 8 a.m. on Monday, you're not going to do it, right? So it's helping build some habits and skills to make improvements in all facets of your life um, in order to be effective at staying on top of your treatments.
1: Heather, I'm going to throw this next question to you, but Brendan, feel free to chime in. Tell me about the mechanics of the program. How does it work? What does it look like? If I am a male with severe or moderate hemophilia between ages 18 to 29,
2: what am I signing up for? Sure. So the program is app-based, so it can be done on your phone or on the computer, so easily accessible anywhere. And when you begin the program, there is- Wait a minute,
1: wait a minute, Ooh. wait a minute. Actually, I wanna have a stop. <laughs> so
2: this is not a live educational
1: program like we normally do.
2: Yes, it can be accessed through an app or online through a website, so. Cool,
1: okay, oh, cool.
2: Yeah, and it is asynchronous for the most part. You can hop online anytime. So if you are an early bird and you like getting up early and you wanna um, complete some of, of the work in the app, um, you can do it in the morning, you can do it at late at night if you're more of a night owl. So it's really flexible in that it's available 24 seven and you can really work on it on your own time. But the first thing that you do when you get into the app as part of your profile, you take a short quiz that gives information about how much you know about your bleeding disorder currently. So do you know what type of bleeding disorder you have? Do you know how to self-infuse, how to um, schedule an appointment at your HTC? And based on your answers in that quiz, you will receive workbooks that will go through maybe some of the challenges or questions that you have about your bleeding disorder. So if you're not sure who the individuals that comprise your care team are made of, um, you'll receive information in a workbook format about that, how to know, know who's your social worker, who's your hematologist, those types of things. And the workbooks are very short. They give the information that you need, just the basics. So they take three to five minutes to complete. At the end, there's a little quiz to make sure that you really understood the information. And the workbooks are always available. So if you need to go back and reference something, maybe it's time to order your medication and this is the first time you're doing it on your own and you remember you did a workbook about it You can go back and look at look at it and follow those steps to get that completed um the app also has a health library on it and the health library has a wealth of resources for all sorts of things to help you stay healthy so it has topics that are specific to hemophilia and those can be accessed at any time. It includes information that is in the workbooks and also some other information that um, didn't make it into the workbooks, but is also important information that you may want to know about. So it's also available in the health library and there are tons of articles and resources about nutrition, physical activity, stress management, sleep management, and that's available to you 24-7 through the app or online.
1: That's incredible. Brendan, anything to add? Yeah.
3: You know, we partnered with a health app firm. And so we're getting to benefit from all of this research and work they've done with other types of diseases and disorders. And so they've built this massive health library like Heather um, explained. The other piece of this is that you get to work with a health coach, which is also unique. Um, and huh. it enables the individual to really set some realistic goals. So, this isn't a situation where you have to sit down and explain to another person all about your bleeding disorder. This is someone who's gonna help you figure out huh. what are your barriers and obstacles that you have to overcome in order to be successful. And so, you know, it's just a way to check in. Um, And then we also have another component, because we know building relationships is also really important in this community, and so we have uh, monthly meetups that you can attend, and these are live sessions, so this is um, uh, a little bit different than than the rest of the program, but we wanted to have a touch point for folks. We wanted them to be able to come together and talk about topics that are important to them. And then finally, I'll just throw in that there are some financial incentives as well for participation and completion of activities. I was gonna ask if there. I
1: was gonna ask. It's, it's, oh, it's, that's it's, great. Well, let, I, let's go back to the health coach. That is that is really interesting. Is that a is that live like a like a Zoom you know web meeting that they have like a certain amount of like coaching sessions if they sign up for this
3: program? Tell me about that. Absolutely. Yeah. There. You know. There. There is a live component. And then there's also a check-in, you know, so they're going to text you and how's it going? Any questions for me? Um, If they see that you're not completing your, um, you know, your stuff, they're not going to yell at you. They're going to say, hey, is everything okay? Um, Is there anything I can help with? Want to make sure that, you know, you are, um, you know, moving forward in the program. So I think, you know, one thing that's intriguing about the health coaches, again, they're bringing a wealth of knowledge from other disorders into this. Mm. So, you know, if you have this insurmountable obstacle, or it appears to be that way, they may have completely different ideas about what could help, what could get you back on track.
1: Heather, how long does the program last? When you sign up, what is the commitment that you're signing up for?
2: So the program is designed to last for six months. Um, You have a full year um, access to the app, but for six months, you will have the monthly meetups and um, the coaching sessions. And that is when you're really going to be focusing on completing those workbooks. And Heather, is it a rolling um,
1: enrollment? So uh, there's not like a fixed. Okay. Correct. So you can kind of so sign up whenever. So people can sign up anytime. Yes. That's terrific. Th- this sounds like such a unique program. I'm really interested maybe to have you guys back in the year to see how uh, how it went, what you learned. This this sounds really encouraging. Um, Brendan, uh, tell us where folks can sign up, get more information. Where can we send folks to learn more about On Your Path?
3: The best way to, to reach out to us is through the email address org. That's going to get you in touch with Heather and I. And then we can answer any questions and get you referred to the health app company to get started. Um, I also wanted to mention, Amy, that this program is confidential. Um, while NHF is administering it, so to speak, you know we're getting things started, I'm not going to know what John Smith is doing in the program. That's between John Smith and his uh, health coach, and if He chooses to communicate with his hemophilia treatment center about what he's learning, what he's doing. He can certainly, he has the ability to pull them into his circle of care. So um, this isn't something that, you know, you know, NHF's going to know all your business. This is truly a program to, um, to help people become adherent, to help them live full lives and you know and we know that missing one infusion could have serious serious impacts and long-term impacts and so we're really trying to heighten awareness and figure out what's going on because everybody's got their own set of um, issues and ideas about how they're what they want their life to be so this is not um you know this is not a program that you know is for of one size fits all it really does cater to the needs of the individual and you know one last thing i just want to throw out here too, amy is that you know um for those of you in the community that know me i do have two adult sons with severe hemophilia and man do i wish this program was available when they were when i was kicking them out of the nest i think um um, for me uh it was really scary to think you know we've worked so hard to make sure they have great healthy joints and they they're doing their infusions on time and all that stuff right well, when they leave the house, you know, we don't know what, what happens. But I think what's really cool about this program is that it really does, um, you know, really focus on increasing um, independence as well. And, and helping mm-hmm. them take ownership of, of all of their, all of, the, all of the things that they need to know around, you know, adequately and effectively managing their bleeding disorder. So um, it's mm-hmm. something that we're really excited about. And I think from, you know, from a caregiver's perspective, you know, there's certainly a lot of programs in place for, to transition, um, mm-hmm. you know, as you're moving from high school into college, or you're graduating high school and you're moving out, right, there are all these programs. Um, and this one being that it's six months, it sounds like a really long time, but in reality, this is all about behavior change and building habits. And mm-hmm. that takes time. And that takes, mm-hmm. you know, structure and a, and a support system. And that's why we're really excited about this program, and um, really want to thank the CDC for partnering with us on this and helping us make it happen.
1: What an endorsement! Brendan Hayes, our one of our most treasured hemophilia moms in the community thank thank you so much y'all brendan as always um thank you for uh sharing your story and sharing the work that you're doing at nhf i love following what you're doing and heather again welcome to the community thank you um y'all listeners if you are interested in own your own path please uh check out the email that brendan mentioned own your own path at hemophilia.org and we will have that in the program notes and again thank you so much for being here and we look forward to hearing about the program maybe in a year
3: that sounds great Amy. We're really excited. As, as we mentioned, this is indeed a pilot, and we are hoping to definitely roll this out to other groups um, with bleeding disorders, whether it be people with VWD, Von Willebrand's disease, or uh, women as well. So uh, that's, that's something that we're really excited about. So once we show success, we'll be able to roll it out to a larger group.
1: Own your path at hemophilia.org. Listeners, I think I screwed that up the last time, but it will be correct in the program notes, <laughs> which is all that you could. You're not going to write it down from this. You're just going to click. So, anyway, it will be correct on the program notes. Again, thank you, Heather, Brendan. Hope to talk to you soon. Thank you Thanks so much.
0: Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Heather. And again, there's more information in the program notes. Correct, correct. Next up, mentioned earlier, Maya Bloomberg, heme NP, nurse practitioner, sickle cell hemophilia expert, doing a lot of stuff on digital media. She's going to be doing some stuff with us here on Bloodstream, and you're going to hear all about that and more right now. Amy and I are now joined by Maya Bloomberg, family nurse practitioner, the heme NP. Maya, thanks for joining us here on Bloodstream. Welcome. How are you today?
4: doing great thanks so much for having me
0: you're welcome amy and i've been a fan of your content so let's dump right in what inspired you to start the heme np instagram account
4: You know, thinking back, it's been almost two years now, and it really started in the peak of the pandemic. There was so much misinformation out there, and I'm a huge nerd, and I was just trying to think of creative ways to use my expertise to help fight that misinformation, and, you know, I went to art school for eight years, so I'm always super creative, and it was honestly just the most beautiful marriage of my creativity with my book smart and being able to create content to just create easy, digestible information to allow patients to really just feel empowered to take charge of their health and have the right information to do so.
0: And and you're specialized in non-malignant hematology. You just mentioned art school too. So how did you get interested in healthcare and specifically non-malignant hematology?
4: So I really fell into hematology. When I was a bedside nurse and a charge nurse, you would see a lot of different types of providers, but you would see the good ones, but you would also see the providers who really just treated patients like numbers. So when I became a nurse practitioner, I didn't really care about the specialty I went in because I'm the type of person, when I put my heart to it, I'm always gonna succeed. And I cared more about the provider I was working with. And I had a few offers in a primary care provider and infectious disease, but I could just tell by that connection I would probably have gotten a little resentful. And then lo and behold, Dr. Harrington comes around and we're talking about his practice and his specialty. And he's literally just going one by one about his patients and giving me a thorough history. And I'm like, this is my guy. Like You can tell that he truly cares about his patients. So I really fell into hematology, but now kind of seeing where my career has taken me and the advocacy and whatnot I've been able to accomplish, I really do feel like it was some divine intervention. And this was part of my life purpose to really fall into hematology.
0: Wow, that's uh, powerful. So, you started this Instagram account about two years ago. You said during the pandemic. Was there anything in particular about the pandemic that inspired this account?
4: It's more that a lot of my patients would always say to me that, oh, I read this on Facebook, oh, I read this online, and they would trust the information they're reading online as a reason to not get vaccinated. And we just have so much information, especially for the population of patients I take care of, especially those living with sickle cell disease. We knew the outcomes of getting COVID with sickle cell is much worse than compared to the general population. And we have heaping evidence that the vaccine, it's safe, it's effective, and it helps prevent death. So when I was having patients trust what they're reading online more than what their providers were saying, I knew it wasn't just exclusive to them. This is probably a general problem, and it's really what motivated me to kind of go in that arena.
1: Maya, are there other uh, clinicians online that are doing the same thing as you are? Um, Is it kind of a dry field? You know, you don't hear of a clinician or a nurse practitioner, you know, who has Instagram savvy um what what has that been like uh, can you push through the noise or what has that been like
4: so it was definitely a learning curve i think there's a lot of other medical providers we're called medfluencers which I'm an advocate, but there is, they call us medfluencers, and there's a bunch of providers, but what I found was a little differentiating for my page versus the other providers' pages is a lot of my information is just directly geared to empower patients. Yes, if healthcare providers read my information, they'll learn a lot and whatnot, but I really just wanted to simplify hematology because hematology can be so intimidating and it really is a complex field. And I feel like I just have a knack for simplifying it to the point where you can take the information and actually translate it into your life and clinical practice. But there are a lot of providers who are doing it. There are a few in the hematology field specifically, but I've seen it across the board in pulmonology and eye specialists, uh, lung specialists, et cetera.
0: You mentioned having a knack for being able to simplify the information for the purposes of a post. I'm curious how you determine what you want to post about, what topic, how does that come about? What's your process?
4: It's so random. Honestly, if I, one day I'll be going to sleep and I swear it's when I'm going to bed is when all of my ideas kind of flood in. So if I'll get an idea, I write it down on my nightstand and that'll prompt it. Otherwise it's really, I try to post things that aren't talked about often so recently I posted on sexual health because at the end of the day when we're talking about patient care it involves the mind, body, soul, et cetera, but you can only fit in so much information into one clinic visit. So I try to think of topics that should be discussed but often aren't because we might not have the time constraints and, and whatnot. I'll also choose topics that just are frequent conversations that I'm having in clinic with patients that I wanna just spell out into the world. When it comes to hemophilia or sickle cell, there's a shortage of providers that really are specialized in that area. So I feel like just the small details, even just as much as family planning or what it means when you're getting pregnant or if you wanna become pregnant, I try to think of what those hot topics are that I get asked often in clinic and kind of translate that into my posts.
1: Maya, we get asked this all the time, um, knowing that there's, you know, Uh, Misinformation out there, knowing that patients are still going to be out there and wanting to celebrate that. I mean, it is such an isolating thing having a rare condition. And so, you know, these online spaces have just been wonderful for patients, for caregivers to connect. But there's always this like gray area of like, you know, what's everybody saying on there? And as a clinician, like, how do we quote unquote police that in some way? What are your kind of tips and tricks for patients and caregivers navigating the online space? Um, hearing something online, Um, we all know, I mean, I, you know, do makeup tutorials online to, you know, one of those things like, uh, and I'm sure patients kind of hear tips and tricks online as well. How do you navigate that? How do you talk to your patients about that?
4: So I have patients all the time. They'll bring me information like, hey, I saw this online. What do you think about it? Because I think as soon as you plant a seed of doubt and let patients realize, You can google anything and you can find one sentence that fits a piece of your narrative and creates this whole story that really skews the information so i think it's just important for patients to not trust everything and to really be their own detectives if something sounds too good to be true it probably is and hopefully you have a good relationship with your provider that if you find something i love when my patients use it as a way to spark more meaningful conversation And it's not like they're saying, hey, look what I saw. This is what I believe. It's more like, hey, look what I saw. What do you think? And kind of breaking down the information together.
0: Maya, your account has over 11,000 followers. Each of your posts gets a significant amount of engagement. I'm curious, what has surprised you about the response to your account since you first started it?
4: I think what surprised me most is in the beginning, I went in like so eager. I'm like, yeah, everyone's going to love me and who wouldn't want to follow me? And it was the complete opposite. And it was almost when I stopped thinking about what others would like more and just started doing what I was passionate about. But the bigger purpose of my account is really to help empower patients to live their best lives and be their biggest advocates. And when I focus on that and that passion, I feel like everything else kind of trickles. So I think it was surprising to me that just... When I stopped caring about the followers and the likes, that's end up when I ended up being more successful.
0: That's a great story. It's a great testament to making sure that you're focusing on the thing that is most important and trusting that the rest will come.
4: And the other thing, just one piece real fast, is just the Instagram, it gives you the ability to connect to people all over the world. And for the different disease states, like with sickle cell, we know that it's a huge health and racial disparity in the United States. but through connecting to people globally, you realize that every single warrior is having the same exact battle. And even in the areas with the highest prevalence, it's almost worse in Africa, which has the highest rates and they don't even have basic access to newborn screening and to life-saving treatments. And for hemophilia, for example, when you think about access and I'm connecting to people in India or other people who reach out to me like, hey, I just started on this clinical trial. It's been really exciting to just engage and connect to people all over the world and kind of hear how the standard of care and different treatments vary as well.
0: It's also been exciting for us to connect with you and to start talking with you about how we may work together uh, through bloodstream in the future. And I know we're still Uh, hashing out details, fine-tuning some things. But if you would, Maya, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about what listeners can expect to hear from you here on Bloodstream in the coming months.
4: So I think we've already dived in and spoke how I'm very good at simplifying things and making it easy to understand. So this new project that we're going to be doing is going to be short tidbits of information, easy to digest on various topics that cover anything in non-malignant or benign, or more recently, we now call it classical hematology. And that covers uh, hemoglobinopathies, which sickle cell and thalassemia falls under. It covers bleeding disorders like hemophilia and von Willebrand disease, it covers iron overload. It covers clotting disorders, platelets, et cetera. So we have so many different things that we can talk about. And the goal is to kind of just break it down in short digestible videos. So again, you can take this information and just be able to live your best life.
0: That's fantastic, Maya. Well, thank you for everything that you do for the community. And thank you for the willingness to partner with us on Bloodstream. And I'm excited to see what we're going to be able to do together here in the coming months. And thanks again for today and having our listeners get to know a little bit more about you and your story. I imagine we'll have you back on down the road to hear uh, how this project we're doing together has gone, what else you're learning. And as we continue to see advances in treatment and care and hemophilia and sickle cell and so forth, to check in with you about what are you noticing or what gaps are st- still exist. I think this will be a fun ongoing dialogue for Amy and I to be in with you and the listeners will benefit from that. So thank you and we will talk to you again very soon.
4: I'm just as excited. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you, Maya. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Heather, for contributing to today's episode. And thanks again to Takeda, our founding and ongoing supporter, as well as to today's episode sponsor, Genentech. Uh, we are back again March 24th. It will still be Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month, so we will probably mention that, Amy. But what else might we mention on the episode coming out on March 24th?
1: Blood brother John Christian joins us. He's from the Colorado community, so what?
0: Yeah, you guys go back a little bit. We
1: do. We do go back a little bit. And uh, he's a really cool dude, and he... Um, uh, went over to China to teach English and has a phenomenal story about how he how he engaged with his hemophilia on his travels. Yeah. And he uh, has written everything down. It's been in multiple stages, kind of his storytelling with mm-hmm. this. Um, so anyway, we hear from John and uh, get to hear a little bit about his journey and it'll be cool for Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month that's so cool
0: it is very cool a very unique story and, and and well articulated by John so stick around for that next time on Bloodstream
1: and we also have our first segment with Maya Bloomberg
0: yeah so next time on the pod you will hear from Maya uh, she'll be contributing regularly to Bloodstream going forward here so long as we keep to our deadlines between now and the I next know, episode I otherwise know, we separate. are going to uh just have to you know eat some humble pie <laughs> in the next episode Amy Board <laughs> there's not enough time to edit this out so it goes then we'll just have to account for it if it doesn't happen. But we are working with Maya. We believe the next episode will be the first one that you'll hear from her. Uh, So March 24th, mark your calendars. And with that, that is all for this episode. As always, listeners, remember to subscribe, listen to, and share episodes of the Bloodstream podcast with friends, family, and colleagues. And if you have a loved one in the bleeding disorders community with a story that you think is worth sharing, contact us, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com.
1: Because we're always casting something. We're
0: always casting something.
1: And you can always connect with us on Bloodstream Media or on our personal pages. Amy, my name is Amy Borden. That is Amy Borden. And Patrick James Lynch. Patrick James Lynch. Please connect with us on social. We're super fun on social.
0: That is true. That is my name. I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And
1: I'm your other host, Amy Board. And
0: until next time, March 24th, or at least that's what we're saying for now, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody.
1: <laughs> Bye-bye.